Welcome to the Wisdom of Compassion, a podcast presented by White Conch Dharma Center. For today's episode, we will be featuring a teaching by Domo Geshe Rinpoche, the spiritual director of White Conch, titled Obstacles to Happiness. The obstacles to happiness hide in our own minds. In this energizing teaching, Rinpoche talks about the use of purification practices to overcome negative states of mind. As she often says, no blaming, no shaming, only changing. This is the real work of purification. I hope you find this teaching as uplifting as I have and are able to let your natural joy arise. Sometimes our concepts and our, our attitudes are like knots that we want to be able to speak clearly like the microphone. We want to have no problems whatsoever. But somehow, uh, somehow uh, the knots of our, of our own attitudes get in the way and so Rather than doing the thing we want to do, which in my case was pray intensely for inspiration, etc., etc., that uh, instead I had to untangle knots, huh, like that. And uh, so I did actually didn't have time for prayer. <laughs> so luckily I had been doing prayer before I came down. And so, like that, my heart is in the right place, like that. So good. Good evening. Today is uh, October. Twentieth. Huh? Twentieth. October twentieth, two thousand and eleven. Almost Pumpkin Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, we not have the Pumpkin Day in my before. <laughs> this uh, I learned this when I came to America, and uh, uh, this whole idea about carving pumpkins scary and this. <laughs> Was not was not something that was interesting to me. However, after many years, after many years and many interesting Halloween uh, experiences, that uh, I was trying to think, what is today's date? And I thought it was November. And then I realized we have not yet had pumpkins, and so I knew that it was uh, that we were still in October. I have um, when I first when I moved from. Uh, to California for the first uh, for the first time, uh, which was October. I arrived. I flew in October thirty first, two thousand and one. Two thousand and one. Yes, and uh, I was picked up at the airport, and I was taken to a Halloween party. <laughs> you know, I wearing my robes. There were people blue, painted blue, which I thought was just stunning. There were men and little girl costumes and all kinds of adults that were uh, uh, dressed in things which I had never ever been exposed to and uh, but the interesting thing was that people kept coming up to me and saying what are you dressed as <laughs> and I saying these are my clothes <laughs> yes dear Uh, then uh, the next year, I wasn't. I wasn't. I th- don't think I was there. I think I was uh, teaching in oh, Madison, yeah. and uh, I came into the room wearing a lampshade on my head, <laughs> and they said, "What are you?" And I said, "Be a lamp unto yourself." <laughs> <laughs> Always teaching. <laughs> <laughs> and so we have uh, uh, we have uh, an interesting discussion here tonight. Uh, about uh, happiness, and uh, you know, it's a kind of a tr- touchy. It's a kind of a touchy subject. You know, that uh, that um, uh, it would be like uh, talking about money with bankers. You know, mm-hmm. that uh, that uh, they're pretty sure they know what this money thing is. They're pretty sure that they actually have some of it, but they're pretty sure they don't have it all yet. Huh? And so like that, your quest for happiness has become a, a quest, has become a lifelong quest, wishing uh, to experience the maximum amount of happiness possible and pretty sure that you haven't reached that uh, point yet. And so, uh, and so happiness remains, happiness remains, good evening dear, happiness remains 
the most important subject of our life. Okay? There is no other subject as important as happiness. It is what you were built to experience. You have a human body and a human mind and a human curiosity that is ready to direct your attention toward the acquisition and the experience of something so ephemeral that you even if you have it, you're not sure you really got it. You want to make sure that others agree that in fact this is the happiness that you seek. And so you have, uh, yes? Tashi Dangwa not here. Where is she? She's in California. She's not coming to this one. Not this time. No. Okay. I think she. I think she downstairs. So there's name we I was looking for. All right. And so happiness. Back to happiness. That uh, that our uh, our reason for living. Our reason for living is to gain more happiness that not only do we want more happiness, but we want it to last a very long time. You know, that if this is, in fact is what we want to experience, then this happiness must be something that we could possess and bring out whenever we needed it. Whenever we wish to experience happiness or to experience happiness continuously. Interestingly, most things that bring us happiness, if they had to, if we had to, if we were forced to experience them continuously, we would consider them not happiness, but in fact suffering. Huh? For example, pumpkin pie, speaking of the season, huh? Yes? Who's the best pumpkin pie cook here, huh? I, I, not me. Okay, Searing, are you the best pumpkin pie? It's not one of mine. All right, who can cook pumpkin pie? Everybody can. Everybody can. All right. You can eat pumpkin pie. And so one piece is pure happiness, especially the first bite. And then you finish the piece, and some the piece, and someone says, "Would you like another piece of pumpkin pie?" And of course, you say yes. <laughs> now, why is it that the second piece of pumpkin pie doesn't taste as good as the first? If something makes you happy, then having more of it should make you more happy. Gelson. You get acclimated to that experience. It becomes normal. You become acclimated very quickly to pumpkin pie. All right. And what changed? What changed? You're not hungry anymore. You're not hungry anymore? Yes? It's not new anymore. It's not new. All right. And so, so we could say that happiness is craving the new. So how many of you have pets? How long have you had them? Have you had them for a while? Mm -hmm. Do they still make you happy? Mm -hmm. They do. Okay, so that blows a, that blows that argument. <laughs> that uh, you know, for those of you who have children, now don't say no. <laughs> when your children make you happy, why? Yes. They have special and meaning. So we could say that, for example, for example, we, we're not going to dwell on family too much because this could be dangerous territory, but uh, uh, that they make you happy, that your children make you happy because they belong to you, because 
not just because they belong to you, but they are your special possessions, that you value them more highly than other. And so there is a, there is a and I'm, I'm, I'm being Buddhist here on you, so I'm not being rough, that, uh, that there is a kind of implied contract between you and your possessions that they must continuously provide you with this, uh, this uh, experience of happiness and satisfaction, all right? So, I don't want to go down this road because I really want to talk about the happiness of happiness. And in spite of, in spite of its many faults, in spite of its many faults, that we must agree that the pursuit of happiness is a legal right. It's in your constitution, and you are expected to be performing these happiness gathering, seeking, hunter gathering happiness <laughs> activities a lot, a lot. And so, on the other hand, that your constitution does say that they that they guarantee you the right to pursue it. No one has ever said that you were actually going to catch it. So you must read the fine print of the Constitution to understand the, the full meaning, huh? Like that. And so, if we look at, if we look at, um, what makes us want to remain alive. That we could say, we could say that the pursuit of happiness or the searching for happiness, the anticipation of happiness in the future is what we, is what keeps us going. That if we don't believe that's true, then we could look at the opposite and we could say suffering is really what I'm staying alive for. I just want to find out what is the, what is the full extent of the possibility of suffering that I could experience in this lifetime. True, we don't want suffering. We don't want suffering. In fact, we want the opposite of suffering, which is what we call happiness. Now, we could look at uh, this dichotomy, this dichotomy between suffering and happiness, but let's take a look at it this way. That when we think about our life, when we think about our enthusiasm and our uh, experience of wanting to live and wanting to, uh, wanting to know what comes next, being able to get up the next morning, that we have each of us who has a normal balance a normal balance has learned how to emphasize uh, seeking happiness. Isn't that so? That people who do not seek happiness, people who do, in fact, seek suffering, generally don't live very long lives. True? That they could become that that someone who is seeking suffering, their closest companion would be depression. In other words, depressing their life force, depressing their their mental functions, and as they become more depressed, that they do not have a sense of anticipation of happiness arising in the future. In fact. In deep cases of depression, that person can't see. They have literally been locked away from this happiness-seeking potential, which is part of the part of the literally part of the mechanics of life force activity, I'm going to say. And so, and so the those who are, those who are uh, adept at seeking happiness uh, tend to uh, look for happiness everywhere they go. They are really good at it. 
They have a radar for happiness. Now, do you really think that people who have that radar for happiness are looking for the peak experiences, the things that will bring them the most happiness? No. They look for happiness wherever they go and generally they find it. Isn't that so? That they, that they have tuned their happiness factor, they have tuned their happiness factor higher and some people have fun and find happiness whatever they do. Crazy, aren't they? They actually enjoy whatever they're doing because they have found the secret to happiness is happiness. There's nothing more tidy than circular logic. Huh? Like that. If you want to be happy, be happy. All right, there we go. And so this uh, balance, this balance, this uh, uplifted balance is something that you learn as a human being. And what are some of the benefits? Let's talk about some of the benefits or describe some of the benefits of being happy. Medical, psychological, financial, gardening, cooking, like that. What are some of the benefits of uh, being happy? Yes? I, I think happy people seem to be healthier. Happy people seem to be healthier. Why? Crazy them. Um, I think... Which parts? Which parts get healthier? Well, I think having a positive outlook and being happy um, or having a happy disposition or finding happiness wherever you go, um, I think it has an effect on the immune system. And it, it causes, I think it could, could cause you to be healthier and also if you're ill, to not only 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 give me okay. one only give me healthier. one healthier okay uh, so what I, I object I object to your premature <laughs> introduction of the relationship between a positive outlook and happy this <laughs> premature so what do you want to say about happy if you're happy you're healthy yes no <laughs> That's not true. So, That's true. so somebody who drank a lot and uh, was giggling and laughing that uh, that that would, but or or maybe that's not the kind of happy we're talking. That's not the kind of happy we're talking about. We're not talking about giddy. Yes, yes. Liquor does boost the immune system. Huh? Liquor does. Laughter. Laughter boosts the immune system. Very good. What are some of the other benefits? I'm doing this deliberately because when our discussion, our discussion lurks behind this part of the discussion. If we don't have, if we can't see any benefits to being happy, it's very easy to uh, find sustenance in the opposite. Yes, so we'll try hard here. Yes. What are the benefits of being happy? I believe that one of the benefits is better relationships with others because people enjoy being in the presence of someone who's happy. Better relationships with others because, uh, because people seek out others who are happy. That you pre would prefer to be around uh, others who are happy and so therefore you get more chances because if you have a happy nature if you want more friends then be happy and uh, and on the other hand uh, if you want happy friends you should probably practice being happy yourself all right very good very good yes that's what I was going to say. It's contagious, and it kind of fills the atmosphere with happiness. Other people. Read. But actually, it's a very different point. It's a very different point, that um, that uh, the 
the contagious quality, the contagious quality of happiness means that you permeate your environment with the uh, you permeate your immediate and distant <coughs> environment with a different kind of ex <clears throat> a different kind of life force expression, and whether that attracts others or not doesn't matter. For example, your your example, someone who lives in a cave and is happy. If we only followed the relationship model, we would ha have to say that only the people, only the people who have good relationships or around others can experience this. But in fact, you can be happy even when you're alone. And not only that, but you experience a kind of suffusion of your environment like perfume you literally perfume the environment that you inhabit and this this <clears throat> this perfume is very attractive to others whether they come or not it's attractive hmm? like that who else what do what are the benefits of being happy make more money <laughs> This is actually a tie-in to the, the it being contagious and suffusing the environment. Actually, any any emotional any emotion will do that. So you can suffuse your environment with the negative ones as well, which is I think a very good motivation to be happy because you don't want to live in that. To, you don't want to live in that environment. No. You don't want to live in the environment where the where the uh, the perfume is uh, is stinky, is stinky, yes, like that, yes, yes, dear. I'm wondering if if you're happy, like are you literally less dense, like you're more lighter? I think so. That there is a that there is a kind of lightness which you experience when you're happy, uh, a kind of uh, less less dense, as you say. Yes, very good, very good. Yes, dear. Find them more resilient to if something bad happens. Uh, you know, yes, very good. You're more resilient if something bad happens. You feel as though you have a cushion, that you have a cushion that can absorb the shocks of uh, of of bad things, as you say. Very good. Yes. The world looks brighter. The world looks brighter. Absolutely. That happiness. Not only are you are you lighter, but you are actually you are actually rising up. You are actually rising up and actually looking out of your eyes, and that makes the world that makes the world brighter. That you are actually seeing the world. Uh, that uh, happiness makes the uh, edges of uh, makes the edges of objects uh, come very sharp. Colors become brighter. You literally, your senses feel clarified. All right. And so these, is Judy coming back with the machine or? He's working on it. I hear him talking. Okay. All right. I hope he's telling him what I'm saying. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yes, welcome back. Welcome back, people there. Um, that, um, and so we can we agree. Now, this, this is important. Can we agree? that there are physiological relation physiological benefits our health that we can if we are generally happy that we could say that our relationships are nice and nice people are attracted to us like-minded people are attracted to us that we could say that we don't require others to be happy we could be happy by ourselves and that if we think about the the consequences, one of the benefits of being happy is thinking about the consequences of not being happy. I know that may sound a little convoluted, but I think it makes perfect sense. Huh? What else did I leave out? Yes? Happiness is not suffering. Standard of, you can't have both happiness and suffering at the same time. You can't both be happy and suffering at the same time? How many of us agree? How many disagree? 
okay and that's why we're here tonight is to talk about your big problem <laughs> your big problem is that you're carrying happiness and suffering together you have mixed happiness and suffering this being happy that we're describing this optimal health and uh, and vibrational vibrational alertness and the colors are bright that this is something this is something which would be rare this would be rare that you would be spending part of your time dwelling on negative thoughts having thoughts of depression having thoughts of suffering blaming and shaming others uh, uh, becoming uh, making make think who is it thinking that others thinking that others will serve you instead of instead of creating an environment where people are working and happy together that these that and finding finding moments like pinpricks of light in this unhappy situation and most people seeking happiness is called making the best of a bad situation right this is the this is the the depth to which we have sunk in our happiness seeking is that we are just trying to get a little glimmer of light between the the shadows and the oh the difficulties but let's look on the bright side let's think of some happy thought it will end soon <laughs> that person will go away and leave me alone and then i will be happy that our happiness capacity has become tainted by our suffering that we're really not even as good as we were when we were children when we were children we didn't know trouble that we only knew fun and games and going to school and being with our friends and being with our mom and dad and that our capacity for happiness was untainted i'm going to say you know if we look at this from a buddhist point of view that we that we must acknowledge that even this baby that has come into this world this child who hasn't had any bad experiences that their potential for suffering and un unhappiness is dormant or has not yet met the accompanying conditions so they remain in this naive position of seeking happiness because they have not yet experienced very much suffering isn't this true and so we don't remain as children we don't remain secretly happy i mean excuse me secretly unhappy while we're expressing happiness that it's more wholehearted and so what changed was you became suspicious of your happy heart you became suspicious of your happy heart and what happened was that you you uh gained a certain level of happiness and then you were crushed you were crushed away from that by suffering by something that somebody said a situation that seemed intolerable and so you did you learned how to not be fully happy you learned to be as happy as possible under the what circumstances. circumstances and so 
this became your standard of happiness and naturally you want to get there as often as possible. And so you have your personal strategies of being able to, uh, being able to see the good side, to admire optimistic people, to have spiritual feel-good books by your bedside, to remind your friends, oh, there's a, what, there's always a silver lining. Silver lining. Exactly. We've got all kinds of sayings. Mm -hmm. And so we're ready on the tongue to help others get out of their difficulty by reminding them, in effect, you know, you were really built for happiness. You were never built for suffering. It's what we're really saying to our friend. Isn't that so? And when they hear you, when they hear you, and you feel the shift in your friend, what do you feel? You feel happy. And so no money or no uh, iPod or what they call these uh, video games, you didn't win a video game. What happened was that you experienced a shift in your dear friend or your family member and that helped you remember. And while you were modeling, while you were modeling that level of happiness, that level of happiness that could shift their mood, and you all know what I'm talking about, at that moment, where was your suffering? You wouldn't dare show them your suffering while you were trying to help them. Isn't that so? That would be like kicking someone when they're down. That you want to, you want to experience that shift and you want to be able to benefit them. And by benefiting them, you found happiness that was untainted at that moment. I don't know if there's anything as nice as helping others, is there? That sometimes, sometimes you can just lie on your bed and you can think, oh, you know, when I was talking to so-and-so today and they weren't feeling well and I said this and then they changed, I could see it in their face and they went back, they were able to go on happily. Huh? That these are our, these are our treasures and they're ephemeral, they're ephemeral, but they're actually more real, more real than words and things. And uh, I'm going to say it this way, in one way, happiness is ephemeral, ephemeral, because it is, uh, it, it cannot be captured, it cannot be captured, it cannot be put on display, it cannot even be seen. But because we are not dense, uh, dense beings, we are actually beings of light trapped into form. And our, when our being of light is experiencing happiness, that this subtle form of ourself is the accessible is the accessible form which is closer to reality than we are in our dense ordinary solidified selves i hope i was clear huh? and so what happens when we for example in the situation where we're helping someone and uh, and we feel this happiness this is an uprising or an increase of our inner being, our being of light, which is more real than our everyday self. So we shift. We can also say that happiness, if you permit me, Dorje, to say that happiness is a shift from the densified to the more subtle uh, view of ourself. We could say 
We could also say it this way, that happiness is an aspect of the shift away from the densified version of ourself to our spiritual self, which is a being of light. Are you with me? And that happiness is profoundly refreshing to you. And that is why, that is why, looking at it from this point of view, that is why we seek happiness because this form of happiness, this joy in helping others and being of benefit literally is our actual nourishment. That is our nourishment and its opposite is our poison. And so after experiencing this nice form of happiness, this nice form of happiness that we feel refreshed. We feel like we have been washed from the inside out. Okay? Now, I'm not going to cover any of these other funny ways that people may be distorting happiness. And I want to just think about this, this view because this is associated with the training and the preparation for awakening that literally we need that nourishment in order to be able to uh, become uh, clean enough to awaken. Are you with me? That there is a kind of, I'm going to say like a happiness sonic cleaner <laughs> which happens in the preparation stages for awakening what we call bodhicitta, which is the altruistic mind of compassion. And so we immerse ourselves in this view, may all living beings be happy. May all living beings have happiness. That we actually practice modeling this exact state of mind and we imbue our environment as far as we can reach. 10 feet, 50 feet, 10,000 miles, I don't know how good you are. We imbue our environment with this wish, with this sincere wish, may all living beings be happy. The very thing which you from time to time have the opportunity to help a particular friend shift them away from a bad mood there are untold numbers of people in a bad mood right now. And that is your practice puts you in touch, not with their suffering, but modeling happiness as the healing balm of their uh, difficulty. And so, we gradually, we gradually shift from being a primarily <laughs> suffering uh, situation with moments of happiness or doing the best we can, that that actually doesn't make sense to us after a while. <clears throat> you know, there would be very few Buddhists that would say, I'm doing the best I can. That somehow that idea becomes discarded very early on. Isn't that a miracle? And when that happens, we arise and we think, wait a minute, maybe there's something I could do in this lifetime. Maybe there's something that I could make happen. Maybe when I was a child and I thought, oh, the whole world is open to me. I could change the world. I could make people happy. Things could happen. Maybe that really could happen. And so this altruistic feeling makes us happy, makes us healthy, makes us nice to be around. And so we find, we find that our view of happiness 
and our own cultivation of happiness becomes more about our being of light experiencing that. Isn't that so? It's no longer about pumpkin pie. That this pumpkin pie form of happiness, we discover that the feeling tone of the acquisitions and of the many things which to this world say brings us happiness, amusement parks or new cars or whatever it is, that we find that somehow it doesn't make us as happy as we thought it was going to. And then we remember, wait a minute, this other, this stimulation of my inner being, this facilitation of my inner being, just one small, tiny point, may all sentient beings have happiness and the cause of happiness. And we practice daily, twice daily, sometimes more if you're on retreat. And we practice generating this. And what happens is that our capacity for happiness increases as well as moves interior. And when it moves interior, that the strength of our happiness increases exponentially. And we realize that this human body is not that good a conductor of happiness. <laughs> like lead. <laughs> or potatoes. Actually, I think potatoes are a good conductor of happiness for electricity. <laughs> Especially mashed with lots of garlic. <laughs> and so, and so, our idea, as we practice, as we practice, that our idea of our idea of happiness that we crave, we begin to, because feelings come even stronger on the interior, that we crave this new form of happiness, and we find that the other forms, this mixed form, doing the best we can, getting along, I'm doing okay, how are you doing, fine, huh? that uh, this other form is really annoying, really annoying, that uh, the, uh, uh, the objects which, which had, the objects which brought us by advertising promised us happiness, in fact, don't bring us that happiness. And that we develop, uh, even though we are not thinking, oh, I'm becoming more mature, I'm, I'm growing up, and these things are, are like child's play, we don't actually think that way. Why? Because we remain a happiness-seeking living being. That we still are seeking happiness, but our attitudes toward happiness have changed so much that we can't relate our old ideas of happiness to what we now believe brings us happiness. All right? Mm -hmm. Haven't you found it so? Like that. And so, and so what prevents us, what prevents us from experiencing happiness? Our old view of happiness, I'm going to say, as primary. And uh, what prevents us being happy? By caring so much about others that we feel that we have to model their form of what happiness is in order to get along with them. When in fact, when we have this more healthy view of happiness, that something changes so dramatically in our physiology, in our internal environment, in what we produce, this perfume that we produce in the world, that the very ones that you thought, if you didn't go along with their happiness as your model, that they will love you more and uh, you will find 
more relationships, you will find healthier relationships. They don't even need to hold the same value that you do. They don't have to seek happiness the way you do as long as you are doing it. So tied to, uh, in our old model, tied to suffering happiness in uh, different ratios. I once actually had a, had a fellow uh, come to me who was a successful businessman and uh, he said, I don't want to change anything. I don't want to change anything about my life, even though he was a little bit messed up. He says, I don't want to change anything in my life because he said, I finally got the correct balance between suffering and happiness. And right now, he says, and right now, I've got more happiness than I do suffering. Huh? And I said to him, I said, I pray that this balance remain this way. And I hope that you will never, a day will never come where you will have to buy suffering, pay for it with your happiness, like that. That our view, that this view of everything has to good and bad, that these, you know, suffering and happiness have to be an equal ratio uh, in order to be able to have a, a correct life. This just bullshit. This just bullshit that uh, destroy that idea. Happiness is truly possible. And the great Mahayana, oh, the great Mahayana ties it to the altruistic, altruistic urge. And uh, <clears throat> What prevents, uh, what prevents you uh, uh, from being happy? Because your karma, because your karma uh, is not yet the karma of an enlightened being. All right? That uh, when your karma is the karma of an enlightened being, you will be helplessly an enlightened being. You will not be able to prevent yourself from being a fully enlightened being. Right now, you're not in that place. And so you have, and so you have karmic consequences which have drawn problems to you, suffering, mental uh, uh, reactions to, the, to your world that brought you this suffering-happiness ratio, uh, this mixture of happiness and suffering, and that we can actually do something about. You know, it sounds like, okay, this is impossible, but it's not, because the great Mahayana, the great Mahayana, and the, uh, the tantric, uh, tantric practices of transformation uh, have, have therapeutic, have therapeutic techniques to overcome, and to, to overcome the issues uh, that uh, plague us and prevent us from becoming awakened or enlightened, as you might say. And so, a very long time ago, I'm going to be like a storyteller, a storyteller. A long, long time ago, <coughs> in a distant world like that, there was a, a meek and careful uh, spiritual practitioner who uh, did um, spiritual practice uh, with the purpose of becoming extraordinarily clean, obsessed with being purified, purifying their mind. And uh, this living being became enlightened but did not stop purifying that this living being, this living being, went on to uh, make uh, special vows to help others purify. In some ways, you can see you're wishing to help friends. You can see the, the seeds of that kind of attitude in you already. But to not like this being, this being gained spiritual power through cleanliness and extraordinary mental states and actually 
put that power into a special vow to help others come away from uh, this lack of purification, I'm going to say. And that being, that being became accumulated to a larger sphere of purification influence. And that larger sphere of purification influence is what we call Vajrasattva, the Buddha of purification. Since that time, I'm going to say this vast empire of purification with the special vows has become a magnet for like-minded enlightened beings who also wish to join this wonderful effort. Occupy purification. Okay? <laughs> It's a movement. <laughs> and so this unstoppable resource of purification is so powerful that it is a Buddha-level being, a perfected being, with the special attachment of vows of for, to help others purify. And so... When we do Vajrasattva practice, that we have, uh, we want to establish uh, a special uh, relationship with Vajrasattva to help us in ways that we cannot help ourselves. All right? That uh, some things just are too complex that they seem unsolvable. And so we rely on Vajrasattva, the Buddha of purification, to help us in this difficulty. Now, people will, people will actually uh, go on retreat doing many, many uh, mantra recitations and visualizations and practice of Vajrasattva uh, sincerely opening their heart to the possibility that they could become completely clean and pure. And so Vajrasattva, your anxiety and desire for purification is like a subspace radio beacon huh? from like a distant star. What they call that? Did I name it right? Yeah? All right, we'll, we'll call it that. <laughs> your distress signal and your desire and readiness to experience that purification sets up a harmonic between you and Vajrasattva, Buddha of purification, and uh, you will gain, you will gain uh, results according to your effort, according to your effort, all right? I mean, you can't just go out here to the corner and say, hey, Vajrasattva, I'm ready. <laughs> go for it, man. <laughs> that, uh, that our something shifts inside us, that we finally remember what it was like uh, to be clean. And yet we can still see what prevents us uh, from experiencing uh, that state. And so there is nothing, there is nothing as amazing as a heartfelt desire uh, for uh, purification. All right? And so I'm going to, this evening, I'm going to just very briefly here, I'm going to give you the mantra of Vajrasattva. You take it home, you use it as you can, I want you to think about it. There are many of you here who have received a more extensive Vajrasattva initiation, etc., etc. But uh, for our purpose tonight, I would like you to, uh, I would like you to uh, uh, receive this mantra 
And uh, by the way, uh, by the way, for those of you who, here tonight who may or may not be Buddhist, that uh, Vajrasattva has been embraced as a Buddhist deity, uh, but uh, Vajrasattva is not a Buddhist, okay? Uh, neither is Vajrasattva a Christian or a Muslim. These things are way beyond the trappings <coughs> of religions that, uh, that uh, in the past and in the future, Vajrasattva, that same being under many different names, is benefiting and awakening many different people to the same state. So don't think I'm trying to make you a Buddhist, but of course if you're already Buddhist, then go for it. Okay? Like that. <laughs> and so, and so the, the connecting, the connecting uh, mantra, uh, please hold your hands together and repeat after me. Om Vajrasattva Vajrasattva Hum Om Vajrasattva Hum Okay. This is the briefest of, uh, of this is what we call, what I call, permission, for permission to recite the mantra. And so that's what we're going to do here. That uh, if we let, to prepare ourselves, let's think about, let's think about how good it would feel if we, we were clean enough inside to experience this other form of happiness and how marvelous that would be if we were clean enough to experience that happiness and we could help others. That the altruism of the Vajrasattva practice is inherent. It's not, about, it's not about the individual. It's about bringing us into the capacity to be able to really benefit others. All right? And so it's not about Vajrasattva. It's not about you and it's definitely not about me. There's something else which needs to happen, and that is the awakening and the cleaning that happens before that, all right? Mm -hmm. And so let's, uh, let's recite together. You don't have to hold your hands together. If you, have a, if you have prayer beads, you may take them out. And we're going to do this very slowly and, and, uh, so that you have time to think about, uh, you have time to think about uh, the marvels of the happy state, okay? Om Bhadrasattva Hum Om Bhadrasattva Hum Om Bhadrasattva Hum Om Bhadrasattva Hum By the way, I tell you this, the mantra and Bhadrasattva are no different. When you're reciting the mantra, Vajrasattva on your tongue. All right? So do do with an interesting feeling. Om Vajrasattva Hum Om Vajrasattva Hum Om Vajrasattva Hum Vajrasattva Think about inner happiness. Oh, you look like flowers. How lovely. Om Vajrasattva Om Vajrasattva Om Vajrasattva Om Vajrasattva Om Vajrasattva Om 
Negativity, all negativity, all unhappy states of mind, let them just fall off of you, the fall away and disappear. end to suffering uh, is uh, is very different let me say it this way to end suffering is very different from how we think suffering should be stilled some people might think that we need to solve our problems in order to uh, in order to stop the suffering this is the least effective method Huh? Others feel, others feel that if we don't look at our suffering, that we, if we don't, uh, if we escape from our suffering and try not to think about our suffering, uh, that it will magically disappear. This is only slightly better, but still something that uh, people do. And uh, unfortunately, what you, in order to do this effectively, you have to suppress your, uh, you have to suppress your life force so that it can't experience things so strongly. And then many people feel like they can't feel their, they can't feel themselves, or they can't experience life. They feel distant or separated from, uh, from, from life. And this is not what you were, what you came here to do, huh? a kind of deadening feeling. This is not helpful. Mm. And uh, other people feel that if they, uh, if they produce a lot of the opposite, sort of like trying to pour a lot of fun, like go drink every night and uh, buy things and uh, play video games and go to the amusement park and go on vacations and just do stuff and have fun all of the time, that this will still your suffering. But the moment they stop, the moment they come out from the amusement park and the amusement park of their, of their project, uh, that again, they feel let down and they, they drop back into their suffering. And so this among many techniques uh, to get rid of suffering, none of them has the actual effect that we in fact must become, must our identity must become uh, more internalized and that internal environment must become purified. And so this is not, Buddhism, not what they call like a goody two-shoes, like, oh, I'm more virtuous than you are. I'm more, I'm more holy and more, more special than you are. It's not like that at all. It's just that the dirt and the unpurified mind is painful. And so we don't want that pain. What do we want? We want to be happy. Isn't that so? And so... Our goal and the result of our activities definitely will produce the, the result, and that brought to higher and higher levels produces an awakening, and wow, you're going to be really happy then. That happiness is beyond description, and that is the direction 
that you have to go. You actually don't have an option. You must become happy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or on whatever platform you're listening. You can stay up to date on White Conch news and events at white-conch.org updates and can find all our social media links and blog posts as well as these podcast episodes at white-conch.org wcblog. Thanks for listening and don't forget to check out the next episode as we continue our exploration of compassion.